A few more quick notes before we get into the podcast. Use promo code PAT at Drafters. Quickly becoming my favorite best ball platform. I love the interface on the app. The website is very easy to use as well. And my favorite part is you can customize the settings of the drafts that you create. They have plenty in the lobby to play in with the standard settings. But if you and 11 of your friends want to play in a 12-man, super flex, 2QB, 10 wide receiver league, you can make that happen for any buy-in price. It's the coolest thing going. Get over to Drafters. Use promo code PAT. They will give you a 50% deposit bonus up to $100 deposit. Also, to keep the goodwill going, the FC Eliminator filled uh, rather quickly. 16 people got in on the free roll uh, for the FC Eliminator Challenge. So if you missed out on that, I'm very sorry. However, the goodwill, like I said, keeps on rolling. I will be giving away two SFBX Scott Fishbowl shirts. You can go over check them out on rotoware.com. Five new designs just dropped today. Go over, check them out. Here's how you can win one from the Ride in NFL DFS podcast. Rate, review on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. Send me a screenshot in the DM on Twitter, at PatJamesDFS on Twitter. Send me a screenshot of the review in a DM, and you will be entered to win one of two Scott Fishbowl shirts of your choice. All right. This is a great podcast packed with information from John Kelly. We talk about UFC for about 20, 25 minutes, and then we talk about pizza and and MJ and LeBron. So if you want to just listen to UFC, that's cool. That's 22 minutes or so. But then we talk about pizza. We're both from the same area of the country with very uh, unique, famous pizza. Uh, We talk about that, and we also talk about MJ and LeBron a little bit. All right, let's get into the show. You are listening to the Riding NFL DFS podcast with Pat James. Welcome everybody to the Riding NFL DFS podcast. Today it is the UFC 250. DFS podcast I have brought John Kelly on once again. Hopefully the our folks our friends at zoom don't uh mess this one up and you know drop the recording on us john how's it going bud good man what's going on pat thanks for having me on i'm super excited to talk uh, usc 250 and catch up with you yeah for those that don't know we cut uh like an hour-long podcast um when ufc came back last month and for some reason zoom just could not process the recording uh, the fights happened that weekend, and then Monday morning I got a notification in my email that the, the recording had finished processing, so terrible timing on their part. We're doing it a day early just in case they they need some extra time again. I, we know COVID and all that kind of crazy stuff going on. There's a million more people using Zoom, so I'm sure that's the issue, but let's get in to UFC 250. The first thing I want to say is John has been grinding UFC and MMA DFS for a long time. He's not someone who just picked it up during COVID because it was one of the only sports to provide content for. That's evident when you hear him speak and the advice that he gives and the way that he talks about fighting. Uh, So the first thing I want to talk about is brief strategy. A couple minutes, John, we already went over this. You already talked about it a little bit um, on the last podcast. 
that we did, but basically the way, and you can, you can expand upon it, but basically the way I understand it is there are some core fighters that you rotate in a lot of your lineups. Um, these are guys that are, or girls that are somewhat heavy favorites, probably going to, or you at least think that they are going to finish inside the distance, meaning they're going to finish their opponent before the, you know, the final bell rings. Then there's like some 50-50 matchups where there's going to be a lot of action, a lot of takedowns potentially inside the distance finish, but you're not 100% sold on who the winner is going to be. And then there's just some fights like with some plotters that aren't going to score a ton of points, probably going to go the full distance. Is that fair to break the fights down into those three buckets? Yeah, I think for the most part that that sort of captures everything. The only thing I'll add is that um, in terms of the core, you know, it's not always a heavy favorite. You know, we do get some rare, it, it is kind of rare, but we do get some situations where we, we can identify an underdog that uh, we're more confident on than the market and, and put that fighter in our core. There has been a few cards like that. And those are generally uh, really, really good cards when it, when it comes out our way because those guys are usually less owned. Gotcha. So <clears throat> first thing I, used, I like to do when I'm, I'm cranking up the, uh, the lineup generator, and I have been using a lineup generator for the last few MMA, um, and that's one of the things that I wanted to pick your brain on a, a little bit too. Uh, are you someone who hand builds your lineup? Do you use a lineup generator? And like for the NFL, I am mostly, since I'm only making, I'm like a 20 lineup guy on NFL Sundays, I'm not mass multi-entering. I kind of hand build mine out just so I can, you know, quote unquote, tell a story with the lineup, et cetera. But with MMA, I feel like I, I just, I follow your advice, click on the players that, or the fighters that, that you like, set the parameters and then let the lineup generator do the work. Do you feel like there's a missing component when you do that? Um, so I've, I've done both. I generally am more like your approach towards NFL is I like to hand build my lineups and I usually have, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30, um, unless I'm like maxing a tournament, which is, is kind of rare, but I have done it before. That's when I'll probably do the lineup generation, but I, I, it could just be like a personal bias. I feel like I've had better success when I do the hand building. Um, because like you said, you know, you're more in control rather than, um, rather than just letting the computer and the numbers spit it out. So, um, so I, I tend to lean towards the hand building, but nothing against uh, the lineup generators. Obviously, it, it makes the uh, process a lot quicker for us. Right. And for those that don't know, there is a $2.5 million prize pool MMA millionaire. I, I believe this is the first millionaire maker for MMA that they have run ever uh, on DraftKings. Are you going to be, you know, like a single bullet in there, a couple, uh, max entering how are you gonna are you attacking the uh the mma millionaire this weekend yeah so i haven't fully decided yet i did reserve um i did reserve i think 15 spots already um i'm debating you know i don't want to kind of blow my load on the tournament because it is you know so so high variance and you know it's heavy heavier rake than than some of the other normal tournaments so it's obviously you know a losing proposition for the most part unless you get a lineup or two that'll run deep so I don't want to go crazy on it. I'll probably have, you know, the normal 15 to 20, something like that. Um, and I'll hand, hand build those lineups. All right. So the first thing <clears throat> that I think is important, and it's the first thing that I do when I'm creating lineups, pretty much for any sport, uh, and that is to, you know, rule out. Um, it, whether I'm using a lineup generator or not, I'm going to click off some guys or, or girls in this case that I probably don't want 
reaching my lineup, whether it's, you know, whether, whether the computer's generating them or I'm generating them. Are there any fights or specific fighters this weekend that you would rather not have in your lineup? Yeah, so I, I have a few guys that um, I'm, I'm not necessarily, it's not that I don't think they can't win, but it's the fact that if they do win, they're not going to score well. And there's a couple reasons for that, but I'll name a few of them that I'm just sort of avoiding altogether or taking a, a pretty significant underweight stance on. And the first one's Ian Heinish at, uh, I think he's 8,400 on DraftKings. He's facing Gerald Mearshart. Um, I, I picked Mearshart to win in my breakdown, but I do think it'll be a competitive fight. The thing is when Heinish wins, he doesn't score super great. And it's because he doesn't land in high volume and he usually only lands like one or two takedowns. So he's generally scoring like 60 to 70 in a win. And, you know, A, because I think he loses, but B, if he does win, then, uh, and he is a small favorite. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. I just don't see him paying off that price, especially when you look at the guys around him that I think have a good chance to finish the fight and score well. So he's going to be the first guy that I'm, I'm just sort of avoiding altogether. And then another fighter that falls in that same mold is Juicier Formiga. He's at 7,900. He's fighting Alex Perez. And while I think, you know, this fight is definitely going to be competitive, they're both really good fighters. I think it could be really close. Formiga is like, even worse when it comes to drafting scoring because he generally, you know, he, he lands only 1.25 fantasy points per minute. That's the lowest in the flyweight division. Um, he usually, other than not throwing a lot of strikes, you know, he, he'll look to take the fight to the ground, but then, you know, he, he's perfectly fine with just laying on his opponent and, and just riding it out for the rest of the round. Like he's not, um, unless the submission presents itself, he's not going to be passing too much, especially against a guy like, like his opponent, Alex Perez, who, who isn't a terrible grappler himself. So uh, Formiga, even if he wins, he's another guy that I just don't think can score well. So those are two guys that I probably won't have any exposure to. And then the last one who I'll have a little bit of, but, but definitely underweight to the field is going to be Cody Stammen. And he's a little bit different because he's 9,100 and he is a big favorite. So he's a little bit different than the other guys who are a small favorite and a small dog that I just mentioned. Um, he is a big favorite, but when, when you look at Cody Stammen, he's priced against, uh, he's priced right next to um, all the 9K options. And even at 8,900, Herbert Burns, inside distance line is really good. He has a good shot to finish. Alonzo Menafield, same thing at 9K. Sean O'Malley, 9,300, strong inside distance line. And obviously Amanda Nunes in the main event. So when you, I just named four guys who, or females that have a really strong chance at a finish. And then this fight, you know, right off the bat is like uh, three to one to go to a decision. So that right there, you know, you can kind of tell that he, he just doesn't have the same type of upside as the rest of the fighters. Um, so I'll, I'll definitely be underweight to the field. Not going to fade him completely, but he's going to be another one that I take uh, an underweight stance on. Yeah, and I was actually looking at some of the fighters, and Formiga was one of the ones that jumped out to me, even in, the, even in his wins, um, as you mentioned. He just does not accrue the fantasy points. You know, he had two decisions, um, one last year and one two years ago. He actually looks like he doesn't fight all that much. But, you know, when he wins, he's, he's hovering around like the 50, 60, 70 fantasy point total. And you're really looking for, for you know, nearing 100 when, when you want a winning fighter. Is that, is that safe to say? 
Usually, yes. You know, at 7,900, we wouldn't quite need 100, but we probably would need a finish and probably, you know, 85 to 100, somewhere in there to at least pay off that salary. And you hit it on the head. He just generally does not score anywhere near that ballpark. Got you. All right. So let's talk about um, your core. And I don't want you to give away all the secret sauce because I know you have a lot of content. Everybody, uh, be sure to check out fightnumbers.com, Fight Numbers podcast on iTunes. John's got a lot of great stuff that he puts out for free. Uh, but as far as your core, who, who would you say is one of or the uh, fighter that you'll have the most exposure to this weekend? Yeah, so uh, first off, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm fully okay with giving out my secret sauce. That's always been my strategy. I give out what I know, and I hope that it helps other people as well as helping me because I think there's enough meat on the bone for all of us. And, and the core people that I'm sort of focusing on is obviously Amanda Nunes. She's in the main event five round fight. She has a super high floor, but also a high ceiling. If you look at her wins, she's always in the 115, 120 range. She's the biggest favorite on the card, best inside distance line on the card. So she's pretty much an auto for the most part. And it doesn't mean you should completely fade the other side, Felicia Spencer, but, but Amanda Nunes is definitely going to be in my core. I think she wins and I think she scores big. Uh, but two other of the other guys, uh, one that's going to be pretty popular as well. And then I have a third one that I'm, I don't know what his ownership is going to be. So I'm kind of curious. I haven't run ownership projections yet, but the second fighter that I'm sort of keying on to be overweight is Alonzo Menafield. And he's only 9k. So you save a couple hundred off of Sean O'Malley and Amanda Nunez. Um, and he has a really strong inside distance line. He's a super, super powerful guy. So I think he has a really good chance to get a first round knockout and possibly even a knockdown or two. So in that event, he would score really well. So I'm definitely going to be overweight to him as well. And then the last one who I'm not sure yet on, on how his ownership is going to shake out. I've seen a few people um, sort of in the MMA betting hub of Twitter be on Aljamain Sterling. So I don't know if that'll translate to ownership, but I'm on the other side of that. Corey Sanhagen is a guy who I'm really high on in terms of his overall talent, but also from a DraftKings perspective, he scores nearly four fantasy points per minute, which is one of the highest, uh, not only in the Bantamweight division, but it's, it's in the top 10% across all divisions. So uh, Corey Sanhagen at only 8K is a guy that I think wins and a guy that I think scores really well. So I'm definitely going to have a lot of him. I feel like you said that name on the last podcast we did, Corey Sanhagen, but it looks like he did not fight last month. Um, yeah. I'm just just looking at some of the fighters that you mentioned. It seems as though you know they are. I want to say maybe the Will Fuller of MMA, uh, especially Alonzo. I feel like when he gets a W, he is winning, you know, inside the distance rather quickly, and that's the kind of guy that you want in a millie maker type lineup where you know if he finishes, if he's the winner of the fight, he's probably going to put up a ton of fantasy points for you. So the third bucket that we were talking about um, was kind of like the 50-50 fights. You think the fight is going to score well, but you're a little bit unsure of who is going to come out as the victor. Um, are there any, or I know there is, so let us hear uh, which fights you think you're going to have both sides of. Yeah, so there's always a couple on each card. So this one, there's 
there could be uh, a couple more of these, but these are the main ones that I, I kind of focus on when you ask the question. Um, Charles Bird, Mackie Patola is one. Coconut Bombs is the underdog uh, at 7,400. Charles Bird, 8,800. I, I did pick, um, you know, I picked a winner, obviously, on all of these in my breakdown. You can check it out at fightnumbers.com. But this is, is a fight that I think the underdog does have not only a chance to win, but a chance to score well if he wins. So this is going to be one that I, I'm definitely going to be um, overweight to the underdog, but, but taking both sides. So that's the first one. And then one that I'm, I'm even more high on is the Cody Garbrandt, Rafael Asuncao fight. Cody Garbrandt's 8,600, Rafael Asuncao's 7,600. That's just one where, I mean, you can easily look at Cody Garbrandt's game logs and see that in his fights, he's knocking people out and he's scoring 100 points. But the problem is he's lost three fights in a row now by knockout. So we don't really know kind of where his chin's at. So while I think he's the better fighter and definitely the better boxer, I just don't know how good his chin is. So in, in those fights, for sure, I'm going to have pieces of the underdog, even if I think the favorite is the better fighter, because, you know, I just don't know how his chin holds up. So that's the other one that I'm more interested in. And then this one, I'm, I was kind of hesitant to kind of group it into that category uh, is the Herbert Burns, Evan Dunham fight, because I am pretty confident on uh, Herbert Burns, but it's just the fact that he's super green still. And Evan Dunham, while I think he is kind of shot, you know, he's 39 years old or turns 39 this year. Um, he is a veteran and he does have a ton of experience um, and he does have a decent skill set, at least back in the day he did. So um, that could be a situation where um, it's not the worst idea to get some of, of the big underdog in Evan Dunham. Got it. Are there any fights on this card? And I know that you said that it is very seldom that this is the case, but are there any fights where you could see both fighters being in the winning lineup? Honestly, no, you know, that's something I don't really, I don't really look for, but if, if I see it, then it kind of hops out at me. Like the Joanna, yeah, Jacek, Wiley Zhang fight. I always bring that up as an example. Um, the Colby Covington, Kamara Usman fight, you know, fights like that, where it's kind of easy to tell that both fighters can score really well. There's not really one that I see on this card um, if I had to choose one, then it would probably just be the Sanhagen Aljamain Sterling fight, just because it's it's going to be pretty high paced, I'd imagine. So, um, but I don't plan on stacking any of these. Got you. Is there um, any merit on this card? And I know, depending on different UFC cards, depending on how many fights there are, depending on how popular one or two fighters might be, the amount of money left on the table. Um, you know, advised would probably vary. What type of card is this? Is this a big enough card where you don't necessarily have to leave $1,000, $1,500 on the table? Or do you think that that is a viable strategy this week? I don't know if I would quite leave that much. Uh, leaving salary for sure in the Millie Maker uh, should be something that you do in at least a couple lineups. Because, you know, even though we have 12 fights now, it's still only 12 fights, you know, on a full card will have 13 where ownership's a little bit more spread out but in such a massive field even with 13 and like i said we only have 12 but even if we did have 13 there's so many entries in the milli that you're probably going to chop first place anyway so by leaving anywhere from 500 to a thousand i would say um, that would be something that could maybe differentiate your lineup a little bit 
Gotcha. Let's transition to the sports betting part of this podcast. Let's hear, John, and I want, I want to pick your brain on three different, uh, three different things here. I'm not someone who is probably going to, you know, lay down a couple hundred dollars on a favorite just to return uh, even money or, you know, take a little bit of hit on the juice. However, there may be some people listening that that is their wheelhouse. So if you had to bet a favorite, um, whether it be a lo- like a, a small favorite or someone who is, you know, pretty assured a, a win, a victory, who is your favorite favorite? to bet this weekend yeah so just for uh money line uh bets like you're referring to i would i would say neil magny is the one for me i bet him on Fanduel at minus 154 i think it's moved a little bit since then but um he's just a guy that i i see having pretty much every advantage in this match against Anthony Martin so he'd be the guy as just a straight bet um but I'm, I'm kind of like you I, I don't really look to to get down some big action on just one bet I, I kind of like to play the field a little bit on on maybe some smaller bets but have more of them and then hopefully you know obviously the more bets I hit the bigger my profit would be but it's a, it's a way to kind of um prevent prevent major downside I guess right and that's that's kind of my especially with a sport that I'm not you know heavily invested in um, from a, a research point or even from an interest point, I'll be hundred percent honest with you. Like in the NFL, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. But um, you know, so you mentioned that you're kind of more of a long shot or a parlay type guy. Um, are there any money lines that are uh, appealing to you at plus money? Yeah, honestly, no. Usually there's about one or two each card that I have some interest in, but you know, I think I, I might've hinted at it before. I think this is going to be a pretty chalky card in terms of favorites. You know, I expect to see a lot of the favorites win. And so for that reason, I don't have a lot of heavy underdogs. You know, there's, uh, there's really only one underdog that I, I think will win. Um, when, when you're talking about getting plus money on them anyway, and that's Gerald Mearshart, but it's just, it's not enough juice for me to, to get down. Got you. And then obviously then I, I would assume that the, the route to go is combining some of the, the, you know, the minus money favorites in a parlay. Do you have a, a favorite parlay that we can tell you on? Yeah. So this one is actually, you know, I've, I've been the last couple of weeks giving out, um, I try to keep it, you know, anywhere from 10 to one to 15 to one. Cause you know, people want to turn 50 bucks into um, 500 or 750 or whatever. So um, uh, yeah. So basically it, it would be the, uh, I, I have a few props mixed in. So there are, while, where, while uh, I can't talk while there are some, uh, props that I like that we didn't mention. And, you know, Menafield by KO was one, Stammen by Decision. Um, so I, I have some of these mixed into this parlay, but I placed it uh, last night and it's actually uh, just under 15 to one, but it's Menafield by KO, Stammen by Decision or by points on FanDuel. They don't, they don't list it as Decision. Corey Sanhagen money line, Neil Magny money line, and Amanda Nunes by knockout. And I think that was plus 1450 on FanDuel yesterday. Beautiful. If we hit it, we hit it together. I'll tell you that right now. It's the second I, uh, we get off the horn here, I will be placing that bet on, on FanDuel Sportsbook. Awesome. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So that will do it. 
for this edition. Make sure, as I said, to check out the fightnumbers.com website. John has all of his rankings and breakdowns over there, as well as the Fight Numbers uh, podcast on iTunes. John, it was great to talk to you. I will uh, bring you on for any and all UFC cards that you are willing to, to share your viewpoint with the listeners. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. Good luck on Saturday. All right. Are we good? Yep. Awesome. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you having me on. It was a lot of Something that you guys don't know about John and myself is there is, you know, a little six degrees of separation here that we didn't really realize. We're both from Pennsylvania, the northeastern part. Um, we stumbled upon that basically just from, you know, one of somebody's tweet or something like that and put two and two together. So we're from the same area. John doesn't live here anymore. I still do. But one thing that I want to talk to John about, and you guys know that I always end the show, or I try to at least, um, with a little bit of, you know, everyday life talk and uh, pizza in the northeastern part of Pennsylvania is life. And it, it, it's similar to if you would think New York City, um, how they love their pizza there. The style is a little bit different. So what happened is in northeastern Pennsylvania, you know, there's uh, obviously it's very close to New York City. Um, so we have, there's been a lot of uh, immigration, obviously, since for the last hundred or so years of Italians, as they call them. And there's lots of pizza places and it's akin to New York City. However, there is a little town, um, a few towns over from where John grew up and from where I grew up called Old Forge, Pennsylvania. And a really, really quick backstory is there's about as many pizza places as there are people in the town. And it's a different type of pizza. It's rectangular. Um, it's served on like a, a cafeteria tray. So everybody in this region refers to a pie or a pizza as a tray of pizza. I know that's strange. Um, a slice is a cut. So most people in this area do call it um, a slice or, or just a pizza, but this specific town and people that when you're referring to this specific pizza, they call it a, a tray of pizza and they call it uh, a cut. So I just want to pick John's brain on pizza because he's been around the world uh, a little bit more than me and I want him to clarify some things about pizza that he has experienced outside of Pennsylvania and then, you know, what his experience has been like with pizza in the northeastern part of Pennsylvania. John, is it, is it safe to say that it's the, you know, maybe, maybe outside of like New York City authentic um, New York style pizza, is it safe to say that pizza in the northeastern part of Pennsylvania is probably better than any, anywhere else you've been? Pat, I think it's safe to say that Northeast Pennsylvania has the best pizza in the entire world. Better than New York, better than anywhere I've ever been. And I'm, I will go to war with anyone on that statement because the pizza that we have, that we've been spoiled with pretty much our whole lives, it is unmatchable anywhere else you go. Like you said, I've been around the country. I've lived in a lot of different areas. I was uh, stationed in Arizona pizza out there is not good at all. Papa John's was like the top choice. So you can imagine the style of pizza they had there. Um, I was in North Carolina. The pizza there was much better than Arizona, but still not quite back home. And I live in Massachusetts now where the, again, it's a little bit better than the previous, but 
it, it can't touch anywhere back home. And I've been to, um, you know, Chicago, New York, all these big pizza places. I promise you they can't hold a candle to Northeastern Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, this summer, actually, um, Barstool, you know, Dave Portnoy, he goes all over. Mm-hmm. He, mainly he goes up and down um, the streets of, of Manhattan and, and Brooklyn and Queens and tries the pizza there. Um, but he sometimes he branches out when he's, when he's in different parts of the country. And he made a special trip to Old Forge uh, and, and tried their pizza and gave it a, a good score. Um, he basically said it wasn't his style. And, and this pizza that they have, it's not, I know what you're thinking when I say rectangular, you're thinking like Sicilian or what they call grandma style, where the um, chunks of tomato are on top. It's completely different than anything you've ever tried. It's like, um, sometimes they use, they, they, they put a lot of American cheese in the, um, in the cheese mixture. So it's like a gooier um, cheese on top. And it really is something that if you are, you know, Pennsylvania is called the Keystone State because it is a main corridor from getting anywhere in the United States to anywhere in the Northeast, right? You have to go through Pennsylvania. You pretty much have to come through Northeastern Pennsylvania if you're trying to get anywhere in the Northeastern part of the United States. So if you are making your way up I-81, I suggest getting off and trying some pizza. But so John, and for some reason, I think that you're, um, you know, you told me where you grew up, Tunkhannock, but um, for some reason, I want to say that you are more um, in Wilkesbury than than um, than like Scranton and Old Forge. Is that correct? That is correct. My wife's uh, mother still lives in South Wilkesbury, and I have some family and friends in that area. Okay, so um, and this is probably going to be you know these words are going to be foreign to to the listeners, but I know a lot of people just enjoy food talk. What uh, what's your favorite place to to grab a, a cut or a slice or whatever you want to call it uh from when you come back home yeah so there is one spot that i above all others i have to get every single time that i visit home and this might surprise you a little bit because i get a lot of heat from this it's not jerry's it's not angelo's it's pizza loving because their sicilian pizza is unmatchable they actually just won um, like Pennsylvania is so crazy about pizza. They have like all these kind of crazy contests and, and, you know, fairs. And mm-hmm. there's a guy, there's a guy on, on, um, there's a guy on social media that is kind of blowing up, uh, in, in Pennsylvania. He does like all these different pizza reviews. He's kind of like a, a Dave Portnoy light, but just for like the, the top corner section of, of Pennsylvania. And I think pizza love actually just one. Basically, I think theirs is like a fried dough. Is that correct? Yeah, so they, they like deep fry their pizza and it's it's Sicilian. It's super greasy and unhealthy, of course, but man, that taste is is unbeatable, man. Absolutely. So I have one. Um it's in it's actually in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Obviously, everybody'll um familiar with that because of the office. Um it's the name of it is Maroni's and it is I don't know what kind of cheese I think they use brick cheese. I, I Googled it. Uh someone told me that that's what they think they use. But like it is just like you can't when you're eating like a normal new New York slice of pizza or you know a Sicilian slice of pizza, basically you can see the separation in cheese. Then you could see the sauce. Like if you, you could literally peel all the cheese right off the pizza. They use like a cheddar slash brick slash mozzarella mix. And it's all like the, the, the slice of pizza is like all one. 
Um, it's very hard to explain, but nonetheless, any PA pizza is top of the line. And if you even Google, if you punch into your, the Google machine right now, capital, uh, pizza capital of the world, you won't get all the other places. Like you won't get Chicago. You won't get New York City. The first result will be Old Forge, Pennsylvania. And it's because, you know, pizza is a way of life here. Uh, it's an afterthought in most places. And I know like you probably know this because you've been a ton of places, but, you know, uh, you ask somebody what their favorite pizza is and they say like Little Caesars or, or Papa John's, like you said, and you just, you just want to shake them. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I've been in, I've been on vacation in, in lots of spots up and down the East coast. I even had a slice of pizza in Alaska last summer. I mean, just, you can't even, I mean, it's not even worth having it because it just, just ruins it for you, but it does, it does make you appreciate what we had and what I still have. But I'll tell you what though, Massachusetts has um, some pretty good stuff. Uh, that's where, that's actually where Portnoy's from. And he, he's done a lot of those places like, uh, Frank Pepe's or whatever it's called up there and I think it's it's pretty close you're not too far off it's not like you're in uh mm-hmm. like like you're in Arizona anymore yeah yeah and it's funny you mentioned Dave Portnoy too he actually said like people there's been like a small cult of people telling him Wilkes-Barre Pennsylvania Wilkes-Barre Pennsylvania he actually is coming to Wilkes-Barre so it's up to you Pat I trust you to show <laughs> him the best pizza in the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Valley area um, it's in your hands now yeah, I know. I saw the, I've been, and like, here's the thing, like Portnoy, a lot of people love him or hate him. You know, I do watch the the pizza reviews. I don't necessarily love like the Davey Day Trader and like the <laughs> hates like Roger Goodell and all that kind of crazy stuff and misogynistic potentially, who knows. Um, but the pizza reviews, I think are actually do have some comedic value to them when he's standing on the street talking to people eating pizza and stuff. Um, but yeah, he did say in one of his like at home frozen pizza reviews, he did Nardone's and um, he did say that Wilkes-Barre is on his list of places to stop when everything opens back up. So that'll be interesting to see what he thinks. Mm-hmm. All right. Last thing. And quickly, because, you know, I just did a whole podcast on on my thoughts on this, this topic, um, the last dance, right? This is basically just re- uh, stoking the fire of all of the LeBron and Jordan debate. And I know aside from UFC, John, you are very, very big into the NBA. You're a big Sixers fan. Uh, hopefully the process can turn it around for you soon. I feel like, I felt like they were on the right track. And then, you know, it feels like they hit a little bit of a snag in their, mm-hmm. uh, their quest for a title, but just give me the lowdown LeBron and Jordan. What are you thinking there? So I have a lot of thoughts on this, this topic, um, but I, I want to start by saying my stance has always been that it is impossible to compare players from such two very different eras. Because if you look at when Michael Jordan played and compare it to when LeBron played, the NBA has never been as athletic as it is today. And, you know, people always make the argument, look, he was playing against, you know, a bunch of uh, UPS drivers, you know, all these <laughs> white guys that don't play defense. And I mean, most of that is not true, but there is a little bit of merit there when you look at the average size and strength of a player when Jordan played compared to now, you know, now, unless you're, you have six, four point guards, that's the standard. Whereas, you know, you had John Stockton, Bob Cozy guys way back in the day from, for the past 50 years 
you know, a guy like my height, I always said if I was born in the 1950s, I could have played in the NBA. Um, but, but yeah, so I want to start by saying that is just, it's so impossible to compare two different eras, but gun to my head, I'm going LeBron every single time. You know, when you just talk about the, the actual statistics, the numbers, no, um, you know, they say numbers don't lie. People lie with numbers. So the numbers, uh, you have to go with LeBron. And the way that he's dominated for so long, longer than Jordan has, it just it sort of cements it to me. Um, where the discussion gets interesting, I think, is, is because Jordan was a better competitor. And he was more, he wanted to win more than LeBron. And that's where I think, you know, on top of how he just changed the game, made basketball cool, be like Mike, all that other stuff. I think that's the biggest thing is Jordan, his will to win was much higher than LeBron. And he was just a, a much more competitor. That competitive drive, it, I would say outdrives LeBron. When, but when you talk about specific skill and the numbers that they put up, it, it's got to be LeBron James for me. Yeah, so that's, that's like a great point. And it's one of the things that I said at the top of the podcast, if you guys are interested in, um, you know, my thoughts on it. I did go, it was probably about a half hour into, you know, what I think uh, the LeBron versus Jordan debate boils down to. But the greatest of all time or the GOAT, as a lot of people like to say, I think you have to, you know, break down what you think that means. Because does it mean like if Jordan and, LeBron were dropped into an arena at their prime, who would win in a one-on-one -on -one game? Who would win with the same four players more? Like, it, you can't compare, as you said, and I think it's a great point, Eris. Um, LeBron is, just has players around him, players that he is facing, um, one through five positions, one through five that, you know, Jordan never saw. Sure, like you said, I think the, the argument that, you know, the 90s was a bunch of jabronis and UPS drivers, accountants, plumbers, et cetera, is a little bit overblown. But the thing is, Jordan was way ahead of his time. He was so athletically gifted mm -hmm. that he would he, he could still succeed in the 2000s. I make no bones about that. Um, but he just had so much more talent and ability. Um, than 90% of the people that were on the court as him. Whereas LeBron, he is definitely the most gifted player in the NBA, um, or at least, you know, in terms of certain skill sets. But there's just a vastly more concentrated uh, talent pool around him right now. 100%. That, that is, that, and that's just how it is. But you're right. You know, the killer instinct isn't there with LeBron. You know, losing to the Mavs, I think, hurts his legacy a little bit. Um, but... I just hate the fact that uh, p people give Jordan a pass for not making it to the finals. You know, like they're dinging mm -hmm. LeBron, they're dinging LeBron for dragging scrubs to the finals with him. And, you know, Jordan didn't make it there without Pippen, you know, didn't, wasn't able to get there. And, and that's a pass, you know, everybody, the six and oh, I just want to jump out of the building when people say six and oh, because it's so much deeper than that. But yeah. I do agree that I do agree that if, if LeBron doesn't get another one, I think I might have to succumb to the fact that, um, you know, Jordan, if all, if you want to make that comparison, I think I, I would have to go Jordan just because, you know, three and six is kind of, kind of iffy. 
Yeah, I mean, John, I mean, the great, ahead, the yeah. great thing is. Lastly, before we wrap up here, the great thing is when it comes to Jordan and LeBron, you don't just because you pick one, you don't have to hate the other. You can exactly. just respect the fact that they're both great, and that's I think what's most important with the whole debate. Right, and I think I, the thing that bothers me is the people that think LeBron is is the is the greatest, or think that LeBron is better than Jordan. Most of them will agree that Jordan is you know, right there, or, um, you know, just there's a sliver difference. Whereas people that think Jordan is, is over LeBron, like they have this romanticized notion of, of Jordan from, you know, their younger days or whatever. They have a romanticized idea of the NBA in the eighties and nineties. And they're always like, Oh yeah, it's, it's LeBron. Or, I mean, it's Jordan and then a huge gap and then LeBron, or some of them will even say like LeBron's eighth on the list. And like, that's just, just get out of here. Egregious. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so fightnumbers.com if you are going to uh, play some UFC 249 this weekend. John, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Everybody, make sure to follow him on Twitter, at John Kelly DFS, and good luck in all of your UFC 249 contests this weekend. Thanks, Pat. See you, man. See you. All right, are we done?